This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas, the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood. You know, the real conversations. Tips and tricks. Products we love. And brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. So it feels like we've been bouncing from illness to illness recently. Obviously, we've been talking about it a lot on our socials. Um, chicken pox in our house, colds, flu, the lot. Uh, we've also heard from you that you've been feeling the same. Lots of little ones under the weather. So we thought we would get an expert on to answer all of your questions. We are so excited to be joined by paediatrician Dr. Kieran Rahim, also known as the Munching Medic. I love that. Welcome. How are you? Hello. Morning. Oh, thank you for having me. If you wouldn't mind, would you just tell us a little bit about you and what you do and your experience and stuff? We've had so many questions and we are going to have to get into them pretty quick, but it would be great to just find out a little bit about you first. Yeah, absolutely. So hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. So my name's Kieran. I am a paediatrician, which means I'm a children's doctor. So I deal with children right from like the minute they're day zero, premature babies up until they're 18. Um, I work in London, um, but that's probably a very small part of who I am. My main role in life is motherhood so I'm mum to three <laughs> little ones and she's got a little one right here with us now <laughs> who she's nursing intermittently and trying trying to juggle everything this is incredible quite literally so she's the reason I'm on maternity leave at present um and yes yeah, so I have two boys and a little girl and then I also um use my social platform to engage with parents and sort of help them navigate motherhood which I know in the lockdown was was quite needed because I know lots of people struggle to access sort of the services that they could have accessed pre-pandemic which you know is a shame and then trying to find our feet after that all of the last two years has been quite challenging hasn't it? Yeah I think it can be really difficult especially when your children are not feeling very well or you know they're sick Mm -hmm. it's kind of finding that balance isn't it between thinking oh they'll be fine I don't want to bother the you know the GP because they're already strained they're already under lots of pressure but then also sometimes your maternal instinct kicks in and you think no like there's something wrong here and it can feel especially now like a lot of the appointments that we have are over the phone first and it Mm -hmm. it takes a while to actually get seen you really have to like bash down doors um if if you you know if you feel like there is something really wrong um so that's why we're so happy to have this because obviously some of these questions will probably be super easy for you to answer um and we know we're in good hands so right george i think it's time we get into the questions we've got loads in there yeah let's crack on first it's really important to say this as well this episode is for advice only and should 
shouldn't replace going to see your GP, okay? This is interesting, and I think this definitely happens with Axel, my son. Why does my child always get rashes when they're run down? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And um, reassuringly, it's just the body's reaction to often having like a fever or a cold. So we call it a viral xanthan. And often that rash is quite blotchy looking. It appears all over the place. And the reassuring thing is it goes away when you press it. Um, and it's just it's just the body's way of dealing with it. We actually don't know um, why it happens. Uh, it's We think it's linked to the way your immune risk system reacts. So as you all know, we all have a different immune system and some of us um, get hives um, when we're unwell the rest of us don't. So as long as the rash appears and you can, when you press it, it fades away, that's reassuring. Um, if it's quite like a, a blanchy, sort of quite flat rash, that's also reassuring. It's more like the pinprick rashes that we worry about. Um, and if you're having the rashes when they're not, when they're well, that's also something to consider um, having looked at. But actually a rash that comes with fever is really, really reassuring. Brilliant. Okay, uh, let's go on to this one now. 18-month-old child is below the 0.4th centile for height. Very short. Should we be worried? So in in short, the answer is no. Um, I always say to parents, um, you know, children come in all shapes and sizes, which is really interesting because when they're really little, we obsess over their Mm -hmm. height and weight. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the adult population we also come in in all shapes and sizes so you have short adults you have tall adults you have adults that weigh different amounts and what's more important that you is that your child is tracking along their centile and I say this as a mum I know how I know how hard it is to have a small child my my eldest is was also on the 0.4th centile um, and it wasn't until he was like six that he moved up to the ninth centile so still quite small Uh, whereas my second and my third are tracking between the 50th and the 99th centile so you know even in my own family I've got three different things what's important is a your baby or your toddler is putting on weight um you know it it doesn't have to be tons of weight but as long as they're growing that's reassuring um also that they are healthy in themselves so they don't have things like chronic diarrhea um you know they're not losing weights or massive amounts of weight they're happy and healthy and they're meeting their milestones so those things are far more important than what their height and weight are doing um when you get to about three or four and you're still really worried you can ask your gp to refer you to a dietitian or your or your pediatrician but for most people that isn't necessary your child's height is somewhere between your height and your partner's height so for example if both of you are quite small you're not going to produce yes, a six foot yeah. ten adult uh, and I say this because I'm five foot two as an adult, so I'm quite small. Um, and my husband is six foot three. Um, so our children will be somewhere between that, if that makes sense. Yep. So your yeah. parental height is what you're aiming for. Oh, that's in, Yeah, because our, our daughter, Gigi, I didn't realise, I think probably because of the pandemic as well, I didn't realise how small she, she is until she got her preschool uniform and I bought the smallest polo shirt that I could. Sure. And it's literally at her ankles. Oh, yeah. bless her. And, and then she sort of goes in and I'm like, wow, how old are those children? They're like, oh, they're two. And I think, oh my goodness, she's so small. But then like you say, I'm five foot three. My husband's probably what, five foot? 10 maybe five foot nine so we're both small people so we're probably not going to produce giant children absolutely Um, but it did worry me at first I suddenly like oh my goodness like should I you know should I be doing something here should I go and see somebody but 
obviously not. I think also it's really hard because as parents, you're bombarded with like images of really chubby babies and chubby toddlers. And so you think that's the norm. But actually, remember centiles from zero to 99 is is an idea that in 100 children, that's where your kid lies. So some children will be smaller, some children will be bigger. And some of them don't even make the charts because they are so small. What's more important is that they're growing and thriving. And if those two things aren't happening, then absolutely you know you must get some help see somebody toddler had loose bowels for a couple of weeks post Mm -hmm. chicken pox is that normal yes so loose stools after a viral illness which is what chicken pox is is really normal um so as you know i mean um well as people that follow me know i often talk about your microbiome so these are all the healthy bacteria that live in your gut that make it really uh good for your health and they they keep you happy uh, and we you know, there's a reason we say happy gut, happy mind. So when you have an illness, sometimes all of that bacteria can disappear, or you can develop a, a what we call a lactose intolerance. Yeah. So mm. sometimes you lose all the enzymes that are in the in the gut after a viral illness. So whenever you have things like milk, you don't necessarily have those enzymes to help you process it because you've lost them. Um, so that's why even in adults, you may notice that once you've been quite poorly, your bowels are quite like soft and runny after a viral illness because it takes a little while for your gut to recover. And that's very similar in children. So they can develop what we call a transient lactose intolerance, but if it's just the one or two episodes that last for a few weeks, I wouldn't worry. Like I, as long as they're putting on weight and the bowels return to their normal habit, then that's reassuring. God, that's so interesting. I never thought of that. So if your child has had like a virus or something, should you be giving them a probiotic or something to try and like help the gut or not? You can do if they've got that change. Um, I think probiotics have you know have their place I would definitely consider them if your child's been on antibiotics because what antibiotics do is they wipe out all bacteria so good and yes, bad so right. um you know that's why children also get that diarrhea with antibiotics as well and afterwards as well and I personally do give my children uh, uh, probiotics uh, and prebiotics when they're poorly and which ones would you recommend um so you can get uh, loads so I used to get so I used to give them the bio cult ones which which when they had the uh, uh, the baby and the child ones they no, they no longer do those um there's biogaia you can use which is quite a good but essentially anything that is cheap and chirpy i don't there's no one brand in my personal opinion that okay. is better than ever perfect oh, that's so interesting yeah it really is g <laughs> um, so we've just touched on chicken pox so let's go on to the chicken pox chat there's been so much of it around recently i feel like every time i go on social media somebody else that i know their child has got chicken pox. So firstly, Grace has asked for the pros and cons of the chicken pox vaccine. I'm so interested to hear this. Yeah. So chicken pox is, is one of those topics. Whenever I do a QA, and a it comes up again and again. I actually have a really detailed post on my page. Um, so as a pediatrician, if someone asks me, uh, should I get... Um, you know, my child vaccinated, I always tell them to weigh up the balance, uh, weigh it up for their own personal circumstances. So if your child gets chicken pox, roughly we're looking at between a week to two weeks off school, which means parents need to take that much time off work if you haven't got childcare. So you need to factor in childcare costs. And um, the pros for me are that um, you can, they can get vaccinated from the age of one. Um, relatively, if they do get chicken pox, it's a very, very, very mild illness. There's no school 
scarring, the, the chances of complications are really, really low. Um, the cons are, for me, the only con is that there is some debate amongst medics and in the literature about whether it increases the rate of shingles in adults. So that's why most people think, oh, I shouldn't get chickenpox. But actually, chickenpox vaccination is part of the schedule in many developed countries. So if you look at US, if you look at Canada, if you look at France, they have it as part of their national program. Right. And for yeah. us in the NHS, it's very much a cost thing. Um, so, it, you know, unfortunately, we don't have endless funds, whereas in those countries, they often have like a private system that sort of funds the healthcare system. Um, so it is very much a cost thing. And shingles for the NHS is very, very expensive to treat. So the idea that the, I think behind it is that if everyone gets vaccinated, then perhaps shingles will increase. We don't have that. We don't have evidence of that from other countries. So for example, there hasn't been an increase in say the US or Canada where they've been vaccinating for years. Um, and I think it's really important to remember that even if you get chickenpox, one in four people will get shingles as adults. So it's yeah. not like there isn't a background mm -hmm. risk anyway. Now, full disclosure, my children are vaccinated and my baby will be vaccinated by the time she gets to 18 months because I, I personally um, think it's worth doing. Um, you know, it's it's saving time off school. It's saving. I have quite significant scarring from when I had chickenpox. I had it quite late. I didn't get it until my secondary school. Right. Um, so I remember being like thirteen and having like really bad chickenpox on my face, and you know, you and it's really hard not to pick at it. You're a teenager, yeah. and now I have like lots of scarring on my cheeks, which is for me. I know I don't want that for my kids. <laughs> as vain as that sounds, but it's just no, something I yeah. don't want to put them through. And it is, it is really, it's a really miserable illness. Now, the other side of that is that actually it is a relatively common childhood illness. Lots of people get it, and most children are fine with it. There are a few children that can develop like the complications, which are like, you know, getting a really bad chest infection and occasionally uh, infection that can affect your brain. And we call it encephalitis. Um, so it's rolling the dice and praying that your child doesn't get the, the complications, which most children don't. You know, most children are fine with it. They get poorly um, and they're back on their feet within sort of seven to 10 days. But it's whether you can afford those seven to 10 days off work. Yeah, cetera, of course. Cetera, so you have to balance those costs up as well. I'm not sure if my son's had chickenpox or not, which is such a weird thing because he had, well, what we thought was really bad hand, foot and mouth when he yeah. was like, I must have been 18 months old, but it was everywhere. It was all over his face, all like ev absolutely everywhere. And the doctor at the time said, oh, it's hand, foot and mouth. And then I went for like maybe his two-year check. And they said to me, oh, what's all those marks on his legs? And I said, oh, he had hand, foot and mouth. And they said, oh, no, that looks like chickenpox. Chicken yeah. Um, but I now think, oh, he now he's almost six and at school, I think, oh, should I get him the vaccine or would it do any harm, basically, if he's already had it, if I gave it to him? No, not, no, no. not at all. Yeah, no. I mean, so you're not allowed to have the vaccine if you've had exposure in, like, in say, the last two to three weeks. Um, Fine. You say, yeah, yeah, no vaccine. But after that, if, you know, if there's uncertainty, then absolutely you can get them vaccinated. In, in, your, in your child's case, it probably was chickenpox because yeah. hand, foot and mouth tends not to leave um, marks like that. Um, and, did he, and, did, and did he have any on his um, hand, the soles of his hands and palms? No. Yeah. Yeah, so unlikely to be hand, foot and mouth. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess I, I didn't see any sort of, I think I only spoke to the doctor over the phone or like a video call or something. And so it was all, of, and I was at home with him anyway. So it wasn't like, 
I, I don't know. It was all fine at the time, but now he's sort of been around people who've had chickenpox and not caught it. I'm like, oh. He's probably immune then, yeah. But I made it with my daughter. Okay, next one. Uh, someone has said here, mm. my two-week-old caught chickenpox and yeah. was treated with antivirals. Can he catch it again? And does it stop him building up his own immunity? Wow, do you know what? I've never heard of that before. No, so that's really interesting. So obviously, as you know, newborns don't rest necessarily have the same level of protection as we do and um, in terms of their brain. So the reason we treat them with antivirals is to protect um, their brain, essentially. So they don't have what we call the blood-brain barrier, which stops the rest of us getting, every time we get infection, it going to our brain. So antivirals is our choice. So any newborn, uh, so anyone under the age of four weeks is generally treated with antivirals. Whether he catches it again or not, um, I can't answer because I don't know how bad it was. But generally speaking, if if they've had exposure once, they shouldn't catch chickenpox again. The antivirals won't stop him building his immunity. It's just to ensure that he had or she had um, the the antibodies that we would have given in the antivirals so that to fight the infection. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And stop sense. the complications yep. because actually children under six months that get chickenpox are more likely to have sort of those complications like pneumonia and encephalitis. Um, so it, it was more a protective thing rather than a stopping them getting it. Both my kids complain of stomach pain so often should mm. I worry? Honestly, if I if if I got a penny for the amount of times I get asked about tummy pain, I'd be a very very rich <laughs> woman, and probably not working in the NHS. There we go. Um, so in most children, by far and large, stomach pain is related to constipation. So. I would ask you to look at your child's bowel habits. So children complain of tummy pain often and more often than not, it is constipation. They don't necessarily eat a large variety of foods and fruits and fiber. And most children in my experience are constipated. So how often is your child pooing? Um, Is it every day? Is it every other day? Is it soft? Is it hard? Um, Are they straining when it comes out? That kind of detail is what you want to look into. Um, And... Is it related to behavioral things as well? So often you might notice a pattern. So um, if they're anxious, they may complain of tummy ache. If something's going on at school, they may complain of tummy ache. So it's finding out whether it's like a psychosocial or behavioral thing or whether it's related to, you know, things like constipation. Um, A really good way for parents to test to see how constipated or not constipated their kids are is to give them a spoonful of sweet corn. Um, So give them in the morning and then you want to look at their poo when it comes out so if it's coming out within sort of 24 hours unlikely to be constipation but if it if that sweet corn is coming out two or three days later it is likely to be constipation and you need to see your pharmacist or your gp to get some laxatives on board um constipation is a, is a tough one to treat in children that is so interesting thank you um there's one come up here about why are doctors so reluctant to give antibiotics to children sometimes they're really suffering and they don't give them out uh-huh, that's a really interesting uh so yeah we are really anti so i'm really anti-antibiotics and i own up to that and the reason for that is because we know the majority of um in infections in little ones are viral um so it means they're caused by different viruses i can honestly if i i could sit here and name you probably 40 viruses off the top of my head and and so it's usually a viral illness one after the other antibiotics are reserved for bacterial illnesses um and the reason we don't give them to children is a you know i talked about that microbiome it completely wipes it out 
children also have side effects to antibiotics. So it's not like they don't come without the diarrhea or they may get a rash. And actually, we know from literature that children that are given antibiotics are perhaps only, they only get better one day before those that aren't given antibiotics. And so you have to balance that with giving lots of people or children antibiotics and they're being resistant. So we know we now are in that stage you know, globally, where we are developing resistance to the common antibiotics we're using, which means that we need to find new antibiotics, which means that we're creating things called superbugs. And so we don't want to be in a situation in 30, 40 years time, where we've given out so many antibiotics, we've got all these superbugs going around that we, we don't have antibiotics for. So we really do keep them for really severe infections or where we think there is a bacterial infection, which in children is not that common. And majority of them do have viral infections. That's so interesting because I, I think when I was young, I used to have antibiotics all the time. Like, yeah. I mean, anything. I remember like that, the little medicine like the yellow medicine whereas my son's six now and he's never had antibiotics and uh, I mean it's great obviously it's a great thing and he's got through it but I think how many times had I had it by the time I was six probably you know five or six times probably something like that I guess I guess we're learning now as well aren't we like that's exactly it so you know as science moves along we know that that actually overuse of antibiotics isn't great and that we do prescribe them more often than we should. And I agree with you, like my children have never really had antibiotics either and I'd like to keep it that way. And I probably had antibiotics quite recently for it. I developed a pneumonia chest infection um, and that was after like maybe 15 or 20 years I've, I've had to have like a course of antibiotics and I was very upset because I was like, oh, all of that, all of that gut health that I've built up is now gone. <laughs> so if your child is prescribed antibiotics, doctor would you suggest that they then take that probiotic straight away yeah I, I i personally would and i know i take it so i i take biocult which is the one i i take regularly yeah. and i love it because i can sprinkle it on stuff so i ha- i did take it after as i was taking antibiotics um and so you just need to find whichever one suits you but i personally would take something like that if you're on antibiotics we'll be right back after this short break Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss welcome back to this episode of made by mamas now where were we kelly has said my little one has a nocturnal cough it's just every night but not in Mm -hmm. the day 
Is that mm-hmm. an, is that analogy? Uh, unlikely. So um, I don't know how old Kelly's little one is, but if they are preschoolers or say in their primary school, the first thing I think about a nocturnal cough is asthma because that's sort of the hallmark sign of of asthma. I would keep a diary of when when the cough comes, how bad it is. Allergy coughs tend to be during the day. So allergy, so the, the peak pollen times is around seven to nine o'clock in the morning and then five to seven o'clock in the evening. So you may notice like, for example, your hay fever or your allergies are worse at that time. So that's when that tends to happen. And allergy coughs aren't all year round. So they tend to be more common between sort of March and September and they ease off in winter. Now, if alongside the nocturnal cough, you've got things like exercise induced coughing. So if your child's running around and then they cough after they've been running around for a while, that also points to something like asthma. Um, I would encourage you to book a non-urgent appointment with your GP to discuss the nocturnal cough because, and, and then keep a diary by the time you get that appointment. So what's happening, when it's happening, um, and does anything make it worse or better? Oh, that is so, so interesting. interesting. My daughter's a bit like that. Actually, someone else here has said that my child's always got a runny nose. Why is that? <laughs> yeah, well, um, so I, I don't, again, I don't know the ages. So children underneath the age of, say, you know, four or five, they can have up to 10 illnesses a year. Um, and they tend to be concentrated between sort of like this, the autumn and the winter months. So if you look, if you think about it, and each illness lasts between five to seven days. Now, when you first start school, you're mixing like nursery, you're mixing with other kids, you're bringing all these viruses home, and they do just cause what we call chorizal symptoms. Um, it, it isn't uncommon. Um, so you know, like they'll have like an illness for a week and a bit, then they'll get better for a few days and then they'll pick up the next virus. Now, just remember, they're building their immune system. They're building their immunity. So by the time they get to like seven or eight, they'll be they'll be fine in, in majority of cases. If your child is having them worse in the summer, then think about things like hay fever and allergies, like pollen allergies and stuff, because it, it may well be that. Right. Okay. Uh, There's quite a few messages here around tonsils, but this Mm -hmm. one's from Lucy. My little one has ongoing Mm -hmm. breathing, eating and snoring issues with enlarged tonsils. She's nearly three years old. Will they Mm -hmm. remove them? Yes, they should. If they if it's causing snoring and if it's causing sleep issues, then yes. So, Lucy, I think it's really important you go to your GP uh, and perhaps take a video of the snoring episodes, whether she, how long they last for, whether she's tired during the day as well, because um, sometimes snoring can be a sign of obstructive sleep apnea, which means children the tonsils aren't letting them breathe on time uh, breathe properly and actually it can um, impede their growth so as long uh, keep an eye on her growth as well but I would definitely go back to your GP and actually be referred to an ENT specialist because that needs looking into perfect wow my one-year-old can sleep 15 hours at night and a two-hour nap in the day she's Uh full of beans I can't ask my mates if it's normal because it feels very smug (laughs) That really makes me laugh because I'd feel like, what, 15 hours at night and two hours in the day, but she's one. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. I mean, so can you have my baby? Maybe, maybe <laughs> I don't know what you've done. <laughs> that sounds amazing. No, honestly, I know. Don't don't feel smug. You're, you're just lucky. And, and there's nothing, you know, my, my second child was like that. He slept, for, like he just took himself up to bed. I didn't have to do anything. Um, and he would sleep from seven till about... 6.30 in the evening to about 8, 9 o'clock in the morning if I didn't wake him up and then have a nap 
between. So as long as she's probably just tiring herself out, as long as she's happy, healthy, growing, I wouldn't worry. Enjoy it. Oh my God, don't worry about it. Just enjoy it. That sounds amazing. Uh, Lucy has said, why does my three-year-old wake up unhappy most mornings, even after a good sleep? This one, I'm fascinated to hear. Oh, that's interesting. So I, w- I wonder if they're having night, night, so night terrors in the night because um, it's not uncommon around that age for night terrors to begin. Um, and then I, I don't know if they're sleeping by themselves or if they're scared. So you need to think about um, things like night lights or or whether they're waking up in the middle of the night wanting you. And, and I, do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Whether there's like mm. an attachment issue going on there. It's probably just a phase that will pass, but I've not come across like any pathologies that would cause it. Does that make sense? It's yeah. probably just like they're seeking reassurance and um, may may benefit from someone being around them when they wake up rather than waking up alone. Yeah, I sometimes find my son, Axel, I've said, is nearly six. He seems sometimes to have like, I know, 13 hours sleep at night and he wakes up tired. But when I've shared a bed with him, he scratches a lot and like moves around so much. And I think, what is going on? You're almost having like a fight in the night. No wonder you're waking up tired. What causes that kind of like restless sleep? So it can be, it could be a whole bunch of things. So with with the itching, has he got eczema? He had it when he was a baby. Mm. And then as soon as he stopped having milk, it completely went away. Yeah, so I, w- I would just have his skin looked at then just because if that itching is waking him up enough because you shouldn't really itch at night, like the rest, of, you know, then it makes me wonder if there's something else going on. So, you know, it's, it's the same thing like we had with that cough. If children are, if something is waking children up from their sleep um, and doing it regularly and stopping them having a good night's rest, it's worth discussing it with either like your GP or your pharmacist or if you have access to a paediatrician doing that because they should really be getting restful sleep and if it's not something like sleep terrors that wake them up because they've had a dream it shouldn't health shouldn't be causing them to wake up so that itching I would get looked into the snoring I would get looked into the cough I would let looked into because they should you know children should just go to sleep you know I have to yeah I'm a huge advocate for attachment parenting and you know as adults we don't like sleeping alone Um, I know I really sleep poorly when my husband's not around because I'm just like what the hell do I do with this massive bed um and, and children are very much the same. So I have a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, and my nine-month-old. And it's not uncommon for all of them to end up in my bed. I mean, they'll sleep in their bed up until about five, six o'clock in the morning. But then after that, they're all in there with us. Yeah. And and so, and sometimes it happens more than others, you know, when they've had a nightmare. And I think that's just part and parcel of parenting, isn't it? They're just trying to go with the flow rather than rather than reading all those books that tell us no they should be in their cribs and cots at like six o'clock and then they should sleep through the night until six seven a.m and if they're not doing that there's something wrong with you and your child that's absolute nonsense do you know what that is so interesting because I've actually always been like that like I've wanted them in their own bed you know as soon as possible in their own room as soon as possible um I've always thought you know it's much better that they're not distracted by or like disturbed by me or like 
you know yeah. woken up or whatever but recently this is my favorite um, story G like actually this is a good example the weekend we went out and um, we went to a party we got home quite late and they they asked me if they could sleep in in bed with me and I was like yeah, yeah actually of course you can so mm. I put them in in my bed and then I realized my husband would be coming home as well and there'll be four of us and there wouldn't be room so I yeah. messaged him and said the kids are in our bed <laughs> together I'm gonna go and sleep in Axel's room because he's got a double bed so that's what we did and then by the morning my husband was in bed with my son and I was in bed by, with my daughter and yeah. we all woke up at 10 o'clock in the morning yeah and we have never slept that well ever yeah. and I start, started to think like oh gosh maybe they want to share a room or maybe they want to sleep with you know when they sleep with each other in bed with each other they sleep so much better it doesn't even necessarily have to be like me or you know my husband yeah, absolutely I'd never I used to be so against it like it has to be silent it has to be pitch black it has to be this temperature that's the only way and now I'm sort of coming around to thinking and that's and you know that's not your fault because that's what we're told isn't it from the get-go that children need to be in their own room from like day dot and and actually now we know from research and sort of stuff coming out that children should sleep in their parents room at least up until the age of one year and that's protective against SID and um and you know it helps build that sort of secure attachment and I've I co-sleep with my little one so she has um I want to say she has the snooze pod right next to me she's very rarely in that snooze pod anymore because now she crawls she'll crawl right in between my husband and I and so now we don't even bother because that's where she likes to sleep and you know it's the same with my with my older two sometimes they just want to sleep with us and and like you say I'll go into bed with one of them and my husband will sleep with the other one the baby's obviously always with me because I'm I'm still breastfeeding um, and they sleep much much better so I would you know this little kid that's perhaps crying maybe trial a few nights if you can um, sleeping with them to see if that sort of takes that it edge makes off. Makes a difference. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. It's funny because <laughs> me and Zoe, if we go back to listen to the podcast, like over the years that we've been doing it, we've always been like, no, we're not into co-sleeping. No, never going to do it. And now suddenly, I don't know as well if it's because our youngest, our, our youngest children are getting a bit, a bit older and yeah. we, neither of us have got plans to have any more children. We're suddenly like... <gasps> Oh, have we missed out on the co-sleeping? Come on, come into our bed. <laughs> but you know, do you not remember sleeping with your own parents? I yes. remember like just being like coming home from school sometimes and just being like, I want to sleep with you, mum. And, yes. and I think I was, up, you know, like if I have that memory, I'm thinking I'm eight, maybe not. Yeah, me, uh, do you know, I was just thinking exactly the same. I, I remember it so well. My dad, I used to think I used to start off in bed with my dad because he'd always want to go to bed early. And then by the morning, my dad would be in my bed and my mum would be be with me um yeah I remember it so well yes oh gosh don't well, I've been doing that too and you know what I love that you and me are both doing this George um okay we've had quite a few questions around iron deficiency in children uh, what do we look out for how do we know if our child is not getting enough iron I mean it, to be honest that's a that's an uncommon thing to come across so iron deficiency is normally caused by too much milk um so children that are drinking too much cow's milk in particular they tend to have low iron 
level. So um, remember, after the age of one year, your child doesn't need more than, you know, two, two to three helpings of dairy, which doesn't all need to be milk. So it can be one glass of milk and the cheese or yogurt. Um, and so too much milk is the leading cause in most toddlers of iron deficiency and also constipation because that's what it does. Um so if you think your child has got iron deficiency, you need to speak to a pediatrician and you can get vitamins. Uh, we tend not to have iron vitamins because obviously you can also easily go the other way and have too much iron. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about introducing sort of uh, iron rich foods. So, you know, if your child isn't a vegetarian, then things like meat are a great. So chicken, um, egg, uh, minced meat, these are all sources of iron, broccoli um, and and other greeny leafy vegetables. We, we haven't even got through all of the questions. So I'm just going to finish up maybe with just one more. Yeah. Um, this lady's awaiting a pediatric appointment mm-hmm. for blood in their five months old stools. What could it be? Okay, so it could be a whole bunch of things. I, I, I don't know. I don't know the background to that. It could be blood. It could not be blood. So I don't know. Um, if they've been to A&E and already been seen and then they've been referred to pediatrics, if it's an ongoing issue, um, then I would call the secretary to chase it. I mean, the common, common things like cow's milk protein allergy is, is a common one for babies that sometimes they get like blood or streaks in their poo. Um, it could it could be you know, um, hemorrhoids or like the baby is constipated. And um, without knowing much more, I can't I can't give a diagnosis because it could be literally a whole bunch of things and I don't want to scare you or you know or give information that isn't Mm -hmm. accurate Um, but if you are worried um I would call the secretaries if it's getting worse I would definitely think about it if your baby's poorly with it you don't need to wait you know go and see your doctor in A&E or go and see a GP if it's an emergency and it's really bad um and your child looks poorly then And just to finish Mm -hmm. up, what are a couple of things that you should never ignore if you notice certain symptoms in your child? Um, We obviously mentioned, you know, a rash that doesn't disappear when you press it. Is there anything else where we should just get professional help straight away when our parental instinct is telling us to do so? I mean, the biggest thing that the biggest thing is, and it's what you said, is about trusting your parental instinct. And I always say this to parents, like, ultimately, I only see your your baby or your toddler for a really small time and they may be completely well in that small time but actually you are the expert in your child nobody else so if your parental instinct is zinging and saying you know what something isn't right here absolutely I want to see you and even if it is for reassurance and I say actually you know what thank you for bringing them in I've had a look I can't identify anything your baby looks well that's fine I would much rather see reassure and send away than the other way where your instinct is going off and something is really wrong but you haven't you haven't sought help so by all the first thing is always trust your parental instinct and I say this as a mum at first and the second thing you know there are things that you can't ignore so if you if your baby is under the age of three months and they have a fever at any point you are not there to diagnose your baby. So babies under three months are very, very susceptible to getting very, very sick. So you don't go anywhere but A&E. You bring that baby to A&E, you get get to see someone like me and we'll have a look at baby. If your child has a fever that lasts for day five, you know, day five or more, 
um, absolutely bring them in. So that's five consecutive days of fever. If your child's like constantly vomiting or has diarrheal illness and they're really not keeping their their um, food down. So dehydration in babies happens quite quickly. Um, so if they're not passing wet nappies or they're having less than 50% of their feeds, you should bring them in. Any abnormal movements that you haven't noticed before that are quite concerning, you're worried about, bring them in. Um, you know, um, also things like uh, breathing problems. Um, you know, if they're not breathing right or they're pausing or they're just they just don't look right and sometimes it is very much that there's something that you can't put your finger on but it's your parental like spidey sense going isn't it that yeah. something's not quite right so if that is the case absolutely and I you know we are part of your village and, and and I know at the moment it doesn't seem that way because there are so many cuts to services and parents are waiting months and months and often years to get appointment but that isn't our fault as a general population we are we're more ha more than happy to see you reassure you and and send you on your way than the other way around so trust yourself yep do you know what that's our motto as well always always follow your gut and you know it's, it's just really good to hear you saying that you know you agree with that as well and that's exactly what we should do so thank you no my pleasure can i um just say that there that, you know one of the it's really hard at the moment being a parent you don't have access to things but you know health visitors are still doing their jobs and if you're concerned about baby or toddler's development your health visitor can help in those early days it's your midwife and your gp um if you if you are really worried if there's something chronic that's going on that you've been to multiple times to your GP, you can ask to be referred to a pediatrician. It may take a while, um, but there are avenues. And if if you're very concerned um, about what to do and who to access health, you can always reach out. Um, I'm more than happy to guide people to where they need to go. Dr. Kieran for PM. Thank you so. <laughs> I've heard there's a vacancy. Uh, thank you so much. You were absolutely amazing. Jill, that was so interesting and I love that she closed with a message to like all parents just to trust your instinct because I think yes. especially after the pandemic we hear so much stuff about the NHS being under so much pressure and you know you can't get an appointment and sometimes you think oh I won't waste their time but actually if you think there is something wrong that you are perfectly within your rights to knock down the door and say no I really need to be seen this is mm. not normal for me this is not normal for my child um, because yeah I mean I certainly do it I try, I try and like put off and <laughs> seeing the doctor as much as possible but yeah. really that yeah. is what they are there for totally and I really loved all the conversation around the ch around chicken pox as well because obviously you know we've just been through it and come out the other side so I thought that was that was really fascinating we, we actually get loads of um, messages on Made by Mamas you guys are like please put it in your highlights about what I you know. did because you don't know how bad it's going to be till you're in the, in, in the middle no. of it and actually all those kind of tips and tricks um, or you know to, 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 to know how to cope with it, it, it they're, they're super helpful yeah I thought she and brilliant. also just her advice on like the chicken pox vaccine as well because there's yes. so much chat around that and it's really difficult and she's basically saying that she'll give you the facts actually she said that on her Instagram that she sort of summarised the pros and the cons and so you can go on there and make your own decision like you can basically be like can I can I afford to take 10 days off work is that going to be more beneficial to me it, yeah I, I think I probably will go away and, and maybe get Gigi vaccinated now I think 
when she when she put it like that 10 days off work I thought hmm probably not probably that is definitely worth the 120 pounds <laughs> how many people do you reckon after this podcast have been like googling like oh chicken box vaccine when fact, can I get it I'm booked in it. 10 days off work yeah I'm doing it before this episode goes out Gigi's getting booked in this afternoon, this afternoon. <laughs> no that was great and I really hope you guys found it useful as well of course we love doing these um, podcasts for you um, and you know they're all there as well so we've got a whole back yeah. catalogue hundreds of episodes for you to go back and digest on various different subjects always drop us a message and ask us if we've got a podcast on it and we will send you in the right direction um, and as always we would love you to rate, review, subscribe and please give the podcast a follow and then you won't miss any episodes yeah please do and if you have got any guests you'd like to hear from topics you'd like to cover like as Zoe said our DMs are always open and we'll try and get back to you We're on at Made by Mamas on Instagram and we'll be back on Tuesday Made by Mamas is an insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the lovely Charlotte Mason Insanity Group A lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.